Good evening, everyone. Please sit comfortably. I guess everyone of you would be um, very familiar by now with the um, lines in Haku and Senji's Song of Zazen, how sad that people ignore the near and search for truth afar, like someone in the midst of water crying out in thirst, like a child of a wealthy home wandering among the poor. I want to look at that a little bit more closely today and, and look at it from the point of view, to bring a bit of um, psychology into this, um, a theory of psychology which is described as um, uh, self, um, self-discrepancy. And it's how people have an experience of their actual self, like their actual moment-to-moment experience of themselves, and how we can have an ideal self. And often people who are attracted to spirituality or religion, whatever, can often have a very idealised view of how they ought to be, loving, kind, compassionate, in equanimity all of the time. And yet, while that might be the ideal that we're aspiring to, on a day-to-day basis we will often experience ourselves as being mean-spirited at times, envious, annoyed, irritated, frustrated. And so there's a gap between what we might call the actual self and the ideal self, and it's problematic. And um, some people theorise we can have an ideal self which is created by ourselves. It's just our our expectation of ourself, of how we should be. And then when we don't measure up to our ideal self, it leads to the negative emotion of depression, sadness, disappointment, you know, like low low mood, dejected. And um, when our ideal self is actually based on the expectations of others, what other others expect us to be, then it creates the negative emotions of anxiety. <clears throat> or whether it's a strict cause and effect like that, I don't know. But it does seem there's something true to that, you know, that when there is this discrepancy between what I experience now and what my ideal of myself is, where it comes from, um, it's a kind of a construction in our mind which leads nowhere, really. And Joker, my teacher, um, wrote a very interesting chapter in one of her books, maybe many of you have read it, it might be worth rereading, called Aspiration and Expectation. And that um, when we have an expectation to be our ideal selves, that causes a lot of problems. That's quite different from having an aspiration, you know, and if we, if we didn't have any aspiration, um, perhaps we wouldn't even practice, you know, there'd be a kind of a, an apathy there. Um, but aspiration is not grasping after something, it's not, it's not grasping after a constructed self. Mm-hmm. What we need to see from a Zen perspective is that we're, we're um, deconstructing the thinking mind and all of its creations all of the time. And 
uh, our ideal self um, is just another construction in our mind. And go back to Hakuin's words, how sad that people ignore the near and search for truth afar. You could, you could modify those words and, and, and say how, how sad that people ignore what they actually are experiencing right now and seek some truer self, ideal self somewhere else. How sad, because it's right here. Mm-hmm. I think it was Maizumi Roshi, Joko's teacher said, um, the way you are right now is always far better than what you think it's going to be in the future. So the way of Zen practice and how it's different from some other religious, spiritual models or psychological models, it's not as though you start from an actual self and you actually close the gap and reach your ideal self and then everything's happy ever after. That's not how it works. That's a trap. Um, the way it works is the whole construction of an ideal self and an actual self collapses. The whole house of card collapses. And when the whole house of card collapses, then we stop comparing from where we are here to where we should be. And then life becomes full, you know, and dissatisfaction drops away and we're engaged in the in the process of living rather than being outside commenting on it and whether we're doing good or whether we're doing bad. Mm -hmm. And when all of that drops away, that's when when something shifts within us. The other thing, just to say something a little bit further from a talk I gave a couple of weeks ago on um, loving on kindness, compassion, joy and equanimity which are the emotions that are cultivated through Zen practice. If you do sitting, they'll, they'll just emerge, right? But if you're grasping after and try to make them happen, um, you're, just, you're grasping after an ideal self again. <clears throat> and um, I think there's a lot of substance also to the fact that human beings are born with temperaments and and it's something which is overlooked, I think. And most mothers realise that their children are born with different temperaments. Some come out anxious, some come out angry, some come out peaceful, some come out loving. It's just the way they are. And <clears throat> maybe the fact that we may be a very calm person by nature um, is maybe a lot to do just with our our genetics and our temperament that we were born with so that we produce a lot of serotonin in our brain or if we're just naturally a very loving person maybe we've got a genetic inheritance that produces a lot of oxytocin Mm -hmm. and if you're a joyful person maybe you're given the genetic inheritance that just has um, produces a lot of dopamine. Mm-hmm. If you get up and go person, you know, hasn't you know not so much fear and highly motivated and on the go and doing doing. Maybe you're born with a with a a lot of testosterone running through your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the way you were born, mm-hmm. and somehow 
It's not as though we can't cultivate those other aspects of ourselves that may not be there. Um, but the certain temperaments that we're born with and probably we, that temperament goes with us through our life. Mm-hmm. And um, we build on it and we grow from there. We, we know that that actually happens for people. Um, that, that, that sort of the cultivation of these emotions can, can occur. But a lot of it is just based on temperament. And so some people may come to, to, to um, practice like they were, they've always been anxious, are anxious as a child, and that maybe they have an idealised version of themselves that they're not going to be anxious anymore after doing years and years of Zen practice. Well, it might diminish... But, but the, the diminishment happens because this gap between how and what I'm actually feeling and the ideal self breaks down because it creates a lot of anxiety trying to live up to that ideal all the time. But in simple terms, what happens in Zen practice, you sit in the body, you sit with the breath, you sit with your bodily experiences of feelings and thoughts coming and going and, and it's an experience of radical, deep acceptance of just what you are in this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the, that's the transformative nature of this practice. Just to end with, <coughs> there are some um, words from um, T.S. Eliot's poem, um, The Four Quartets, which you maybe have heard before which really apt, you know, and when you're a Zen student and been doing it for a while, they they really speak to you, they they speak to me. We shall not cease from exploration and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. (laughs) That really describes the nature of Zen practice. We do a lot of exploring, searching for true self, what is Mu, Um, but the point of all that is to come back to this moment where we started from and really know this moment for the first time, to be really intimate with this moment from from the very beginning before we started to think about it. That is always the nature of Zen practice.